Sean Penn, you are a piece of shit. You are a braggart, a lowlife, and a brat. There's nothing good about you. You go around punching out photographers, being insolent, being sullen, being surly. I am sick of Sean Penn's stories. I used to be a press photographer, and people like you I would not piss on. Sean Penn, you're a lowlife, and the reason you're probably so prone to violence is you have a little dick that's never hard. I'll fuck your wife, Madonna. Let us see a stiff Jewish cock. Sean Penn, if you don't like it, my office is right here at West 14th Street. Come get me. I'm going to kick your fucking ass, you lowlife piece of shit. Sean Penn, go fuck yourself. <laughs> Listen, living, listening to Synchronon. Sick and wrong. Yes, you listen to the Sick and Wrong. The Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. God, what a bunch of scumbags. Good evening. Welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. I'm on your host, E. Simon. Hi, my name is Kim Commando. It's not really, it's Kate Rumbo. Kim Commando is kind of cool, though. It's got a good ring to it. I would totally. I know I'm leaning into it too. Maybe that'll be my alter, my other alter ego, Kim Commando. So, Kate Rambo, what was uh, your first porno magazine? But I suppose it was a bit different for me because I didn't really have porno magazines, but I can definitely tell you about the first film I wanked to. Like, well, did Drunk Dad didn't have a porno mag? Um, yeah, but like he hit them. It wasn't like he just left porno mags. Yeah, but you out. never snuck in and just stole one and checked it out. Me and my brothers used to look through. So, uh, my dad had a huge library. I would say he had maybe like over like two thousand books. Whoa! And we would go to like the Holocaust section because he would have it all. My dad was a very organized man, so we'd have them each in different sections. So we would go to the Holocaust section. And we would look through. Like, obviously, the picture books of Holocaust and, like, look at the naked people and be like, Hoo-hoo-hoo. But you would wank to that? No, I never wanked to that. But Gross. it was kind of like, kind of like when you saw, like, na- National Geographic people with their tits out. You'd be like, holy shit. You know, when you're a kid. Yeah, I guess you're seeing a, you're seeing a naked body, which you're not used to seeing. Seeing, yeah. You're kind of like, oh, my God. Especially when you're a spoilt Victorian northern child. So, but did, yeah, it would be Holocaust victims. But did the you, first. Did you have any friends whose parents were divorced and, like, the, the, the dad would have, like, some penthouses I'm around? I'm a that girl. That was never a no. thing, though? You never had that? No. It, that didn't happen for girls. I had I had emerging feelings for Keanu Reeves in Point Break was um, my sexual awakening. Before that, I was married to... Jim Carrey as, a, as Ace Ventura only. I was married to him. Me and him were married. And then I got very sexual awakening feelings for Keanu Reeves in Point Break. But the first film that I ever wanked over, and I wanked over repeatedly, was Crash with James Spader. And I'm very that's surprised not even a, that I but just that's not don't porn, have a fetish. I mean, it's sexy, but it's not porn. It doesn't porn. have to be porn when you're a girl. When you're a girl, it doesn't have to be porn. I guess uh, development. Like, I don't need to see a naked man to feel horny. Like I can just think of it. I can think of anything, and I'll yeah, we need to be see horny and just wank to it. I remember women are different creatures. When I was a kid, uh, my grandfather 
my uh, mother, my maternal, oh, my mother's. Where's this going? No, my maternal grandfather. So my mother's father. He's the one that got hit by the bus. I talked to him. I've talked about him before. Oh, the one y'all just like. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very similar to to him. He was cool. I always liked uh, my my grandpa. He was like. In his 80s, he still worked at a, a as a security guard at a bank, lived on his own, drank a lot of Johnny Red. He was just a cool guy, but he had a stack of Playboys. So whenever we'd go stay at his place, like in, you know, we moved back here from South Africa, we'd stay in his place. I would just go, you know, in the bathroom, I'd just sit there, you know, taking a shit for like 45 minutes, just reading all the Playboys. He had the Madonna one. He had like, he had all the classic, you know, old 80s Playboys. And so when he died, I remember my mom was like, Jeffrey, you can have these. <laughs> and she gave him like this stack of Playboys. And I didn't even think of anything at the time. I remember being like, fuck, dude, that's bullshit. Why didn't I get one? And Jeffrey, like the next day was like, you want these? I don't want them. And I was like, what? Do I ever? <laughs> Are you insane? <laughs> like, I remember just, I remember being shocked. I'm Me? like. Dude, <laughs> fuck yeah, I'll take them all. And I, I treasured those. I probably wanked every single pinup in those in those magazines like 50 times. Well, what happened to them? Where did your collection go? Well, you know, you know what's funny is, you know, as I got older, I, I think I got my hands on a penthouse, and I got my hands on a hustler, and I had a swing. Oh, and they're sexier because you see. Well, there's more penetration than a Playboy. Yeah. The Playboy's just like hair pie, pretty much. But so. I ended up like having, it was when I moved from Chicago to the Bay Area. I had all my porn and just like, I think it was the box I kept my receiver for my stereo in to try to hide it from my girlfriend at the time. But I had like this whole thing of porn and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to get rid of this. And I was about to dump it. I've talked about this on the show. I was about to dump it, but then I was like, you know, I would be you really should hide this in the woods. For another kid to find. For the boys to find. Exactly. Over here, it was in bushes. You would hide it in like a neighbor's bush and another boy would come along and pick it up. I've been told by many an ex-boyfriend that's how they found porn. You find it in the woods. So at the time, I was working for this as a salesperson for this industrial supply company. It's way out in like Elmhurst, Illinois. And so one day on the way to work, I just kind of pulled over and I just went in the woods and just chucked the whole box. I don't know. Some I'm hoping some kid found it. Yeah, I like that. But I also would never have gotten rid of that. Like I don't have a huge vintage porn collection now, but I have a substantial one. I have more than what I thought. We were talking about this on the Patreon recently because I've got a lot of Playboys. I've got some Wee's, Wee's, oh Wee, oh Wee, yeah, yeah. Them. I used to have a really yeah. cool Wee shirt. You know, but that, I don't know. I mean, that was the thing. I was like, I, you know, I don't really care about reading porn magazines at this time. At the, currently, like, I'd rather you know jerk off to Pornhub or something than go along the, my day. I have things. To I want to take that back though, because one of the reasons ever since I've been like, you know, because I'm currently in the process of moving, I'm going through all my shit. So I've been finding all these old Playboys, and the interviews in them are the fucking best. Oh no, the writing in Playboy is great is amazing and now i'm just like i want to own every back issue of playboy ever i want to own every back issue of hustler ever it's coming back man and you know i follow that ultra of like, hustler archives. the writing it's wasn't insane. as great as playboy i wouldn't no. say not none hustler like swank or sherry although hustler did have 
a lot of like social commentary and great, you know, they had some really funny parody comics and things like well, that. But Playboy Hustler, would buy the old New Yorker articles. If it got rejected by the New Yorker, Playboy would buy the articles. So well, that's Play- why it's so amazing. Playboy had actually like, you know, reputable writers. Hustler sometimes did, not as much, but Hustler was a prototype Fit of heads. a very famous porn magazine uh, called Screw. And I know a lot of the older listeners out there would be like, Screw Magazine, shit, Al Goldstein, I forgot about that. But Screw yeah. was predated Hustler probably by like six or seven years. It was the original hardcore porn tabloid. And I remember, I mean, I never, I think I came across maybe a couple copies of Screw, but I loved Al Goldstein, well, the exploits of Al Goldstein, but Al Goldstein's show Midnight Blue, it was this like porn cable access show he had on like manhattan public access i love that shit i used to watch it all the time in the 90s we uh kessler video recorded it you know recorded on vhs tapes and we'd watch it because he would interview everybody i mean he would interview debbie harry harry interviewed yeah. uh robert crumb interviewed tiny tim gilbert gottfried the best interview on midnight blue um but it was a it was a great show but screw magazine and a lot of people don't know this screw Without Screw and without the obscenity, you know, lawsuits and the battles he had in court and the millions of dollars he spent to fight these obscenity charges, there might not never have been a mainstream porn industry if it wasn't for Screw. And that could be a bit of a hyperbole, but maybe not. I mean, I think he paved the way for, you know, porn pioneers like Larry Flint. You know, Al Goldstein was a larger in life character. He was um, a very divisive person. I think some people loved him, some people hated him. (laughs) You put it nicer than what I was going to say, because I was like, Al Goldstein is a big dick in every way. Like, he's a big dick, and he's a big big dick. (laughs) Kind of. I mean, literally. (laughs) I mean, he's like a 350-pound old, dirty old Jew. But (laughs) this guy was the first person to really ever, you know, put hardcore magazines, very progressive magazine. They had a they had a gay column talking about queer community issues. I mean, Al was bisexual at the time. It was a very progressive publication. And I don't think the country was ready for this type of obscenity. There weren't any obscenity laws. I mean, Playboy had existed, but Playboy is kind of classy. You know, it, it didn't have it wasn't it wasn't featuring hardcore porn. And Hustler didn't even exist yet. So Screw kind of laid the foundation for this. Um, We're Al talking Goldstein, like before Deep Throat. Yeah, well. 1968. Al yeah. Goldstein and he Jim made Buckley. Deep Throat happen. Yeah. They reviewed Deep Throat. And I think that review kind of jettisoned Deep, jettisoned Deep Throat into the public eye. But, you know, 1968, Al Goldstein and Jim Buckley invested $175 each to launch Screw Magazine. And you know, and then the you know it ran for several decades, and the magazine and Goldstein were busted obscenity charges nineteen times, eventually winning a major uh, court case and setting a legal precedent for obscenity laws in nineteen seventy four. You know, the New York Times wrote wrote his obituary about Al Goldstein when he died in twenty thirteen. He said, apart from Screw, Mister Goldstein's most notorious creation was Al Goldstein himself. A cartoonishly vituperative amalgam of borscht belt comic, 
free-range social critic, and sex-obsessed loser who seemed to embody a moment in New York City's cultural history, the sleaze and decay of Times Square in the 1960s and 70s. And I can't really think of a better way to describe Al Goldstein and the setting in which he flourished. That's Yeah, that's perfect writing. And also, it's like, it's perfectly hot for a man like Al Goldstein, who isn't hot, but he's hot, right? But that's what he was. He was a sex-obsessed loser, big, fat, stuttering Jew, <laughs> who, you know, fought for free speech and was a porn pioneer. I read this interview, um, it was actually in a book called uh, A Rebel Without a Shoal. XXX communicated. <laughs> oh, yeah. 2004 book that I'm came out. Get this book. Luke Ford wrote it. And uh, he was talking to Goldstein and he asked him, why are Jews so dramatically over, overpresented, like or so dramatically overrepresented in the porn industry? And Goldstein looks at him and he said, the only reason that Jews are in porn is that we think that Christ sucks. Catholicism sucks. We don't believe in authoritarianism. Pornography thus becomes a way of defiling Christian culture. And as it penetrates the very heart of the American mainstream, because it's no doubt consumed by the very same wasps that rail against it, its subversive character becomes more charged. Ford then asked him, so what does it mean to you to be a Jew? And Goldstein responded, it doesn't mean anything. It means that I'm called a kike. And so he asked him, do you believe in God? And he said, I believe in me. I'm God. Screw God. God is your need to believe in some super being. I'm the super being. I am your God. Admit it. We're random. We're the flea on the butt of a dog. And I got to say, I completely agree with Al Goldstein. I really do. Maybe this is where, like, I had a little moment of therapy in that. I was like, maybe this is where, like, uh, my Jew fetish came from. Because I'm into all of that as a Gentile. But, I mean, maybe it's the attitude. I'm not sure. It is the attitude. Reading that's about that, sexy. I was like, wow, that is my sentiments exactly. And that's why I'm a fan of Screw, and that's why I'm a fan of, uh, you know, his cable access at Midnight, Midnight Blue, and I'm, that's why I'm a fan of Al Goldstein. So this week, we chat with Phil Italiano, who's the yeah. current publisher of Screw Magazine about the 54th anniversary of the issue in which Screw outed J. Edgar Hoover. Amazing. Um, J. Edgar Hoover. Get it right. His uh, <laughs> friendship with Al Goldstein. He was a longtime associate of Al's. And the fact that uh, Phil's relaunching the digital version of Screw magazine. Um, and eventually, I'm hoping, a print version. So we'll see what happens with that. Before... We chat with Phil. Let's chat about something more gratifying than pornography. The Sick and Wrong Patreon. <laughs> if it you support is. indie podcasting, if you support DIY radio, we're asking you to sign up for the Patreon. Give us a couple bucks and keep this show going. Well, Dee, I mean, you're kind of like the Al Goldstein of uh, podcasting. Podcasting? Yeah. You know, Al did Midnight Blue for 25 years with uh, no help by himself. You know, you're kind of like the owl, owl of the Bogcraft world. That's you. I mean, I guess I've, I haven't been doing it quite 25 years. Hopefully that won't happen. Close enough. But I have been doing it a very long time. And, uh, you know, kind of a podcrafting pioneer. I don't think yeah. I'm a larger-than-life character as, uh, as Al was, although um, I think I did live a very interesting life, as you're about to find out. 
But, you know, it definitely, uh, he was DIY about doing porn. I mean, he did it all himself. He put it all out there. And yeah. that's kind of what, I, what I've always done with Sick and Wrong. So for just a few bucks a month, you can get access to Sick and Wrong's second show, um, which is a total bonus show we do every week. And since Kate's traveling to LA this weekend, um, I actually have a special episode of Second Show where I invited my old roommate from college to chat about some of the more hilarious and embarrassing moments that we had at the University of Michigan. These are stories I don't think I've ever shared on Sick and Wrong. This is even before I met Lance. Miraculously. So, yeah, it's interesting to chat with someone who knew me, God, two decades ago. It's a long time ago. Right out, right out of high school. So it'll be Is interesting. This before you had dreads. No, I had dreads in high school, and I shaved my dreads. So this is right before I, yeah, and then I grew them back. So yeah, this Terrible. is before I had dreads. <laughs> so I'd grow my hair, and I never like could do the dreads right in high school. But then when I got into uh, college, I had short hair, and then I started growing it back, and I got them professionally done. So technically, I guess it is before I had real dreads. But Good. it's an interesting perspective to talk to someone who knew uh, me and was friends with me for, for a very long time. So, And he's never been on the radio before. So it would be funny. Uh, that's only five bucks a month. You can get access to the Sick and Wrong Second Show on Patreon. Uh, you can also subscribe to Second Show on Apple Podcasts. There's a couple of different ways to support uh, Sick and Wrong. Uh, for a few dollars more, you get access to the bonus episode, uh, Sick and Wrong uh, Overkill. Um, also, um, uh, at that level, you get access to the Sick and Wrong archives, the first 10 years of the show on SoundCloud playlists, all available on the Patreon, patreon.com slash sick and wrong. Let me play this quick promo and then, uh, let's chat with Phil Italiano about the original groundbreaking hardcore porn publication, Screw Magazine. Hey, Sick and Wrong listeners. If you're not currently a Sick and Wrong patron, you might be missing out on special moments like this one. All right, so you guys listen to Dave Matthews. You yeah, got a yeah, water. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then... Uh, She's like, come to the boudoir. Right. The boudoir. The boudoir. She is the type of woman who would call it a boudoir. Right. So, so you go in there. When did you see, first encounter the smell? Uh, I think it's like when I pulled off her pants. Oh, she pulled her panties down. Wow, just when you, what, pants or panties? No, 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 panties panties still on, strong whiff. Oh, through the panties? Yeah. That's intense, that's intense. Right. That's intense. And I noticed And so you're like, I gotta go further. And I was like, I gotta get my head in there. (laughs) I gotta put my tongue in that. (laughs) I gotta inspect a little closer. (laughs) I gotta find Nemo. (laughs) For only $5 a month. You can enjoy these special moments, a bonus news story, extra phone calls, and an hour's worth of outtakes every week at patreon.com slash sickandwrong. Sign up today, support the show, and keep it sick and wrong. Don't you ever think How's it going, Phil? Good. How you doing? Doing all right. Thanks for being on the show, man. This is a... The D. Snyder and Kim Commando show, right? Yeah, it is. <laughs> I, well, now it is. I'm changing my name officially. <laughs> oh, shit. I got the wrong show. I got to go. <laughs> Phil, happy gay Edgar Hoover Day to you. 
And uh, well, and and to you as well. Ah, big congrats! It's the, the anniversary this week of uh, 54 years since Screw called out J. Edgar Hoover on his sexuality. You know who else <laughs> called out uh, Gay Edgar Hoover was Alvin Carpus, the only public uh, enemy ever taken alive. In his book, he explicitly calls J. Edgar Hoover a faggot about six times. Did he give him a hand job or word. something? I think he wanted to give yeah, Alvin Yeah, but Carpus he meant it as more of a... Yeah. He I, he might have meant that more as like a pejorative or something, you know, like yeah. fucking faggot or whatever. You know, because back oh, no, then it oh, was no, just a word. Oh, no, I think he meant in a dandy way as well. Like he was he was attuned to him. But I think uh, Al, Al put the stamp on it. Well, Al called oh, absolutely. him out. And it was the first time I think he'd ever really been called out. This is like, what, 1969? Yeah, May May second, nineteen sixty nine. That's crazy. Yeah, it was a it was a headline. It was a, it was and it was a simple headline too. He didn't have him on the cover or nothing. It just said, "Is J Edgar Hoover a fag?" And um, <laughs> it was the the actual article was written by uh, Elijah Clark, who was the uh, uh, screw ran a screw also ran the very first weekly gay column at the time, uh, which was written by Elijah Clark and Jack Nichols, and they were the ones who essentially picked up i guess their gaydars picked it up and they wrote about it oh it's a it's, that's a thing people forget because screw you know was a it was a you know men's porn magazine but it was also very political predated hustler by like i don't know six or seven years and was very progressive mm-hmm. for the time i mean you know they had the, absolutely yeah this column was the homosexual citizen was the first editorial space ever given to um you know topics affecting the queer community you know, so I mean, and didn't you you pointed out as well? It was the anniversary of the first use, first time they ever used the term homophobia in print. Right. There was I forget the doctor's name, but there was a doctor going around at the time. He 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 he, he was bringing that uh, term to light, and it uh, it appeared in Screw, and then a week later it appeared on the I think it was the cover of Time. Yeah. Right. But at that time, homophobia meant something else as well. Just to clarify, homophobia at that time was meant to be men's fear of becoming gay or that their friends might think they're gay. Oh, and so then it it evolved into just being scared of gays. Right. Yeah, it, it kind of evolved into that. But you remember how, like, when we were kids, like, oh, your your shirt's gay. You know that that you know you didn't want your friends to ever say that to you. So that was pretty much homophobia. <laughs> Kate still uses that, that term all the time. Yeah, I I live in the borders, so I live at the very north of England slash uh, Scotland. And one of our fra- favorite phrases, most used phrases, is "bufty." We'll be like, "You're a right bufty." I kind of like the way that sounds. Yeah, yeah which I kind of like that word. Yeah, yeah calling cool. somebody a bufty, I, I love it. I but use it at least once a day. I'm around the same age as you, Phil, and I remember like in uh, high school, everything was gay. It didn't matter what same. it was. It didn't right. matter if it was a person, a car, a tree, a movie, just everything was gay. You know, yeah. Right, like, and it had yeah, nothing to do with gay. <laughs> no. It was just no. gay. <laughs> <laughs> My generation gay. Was which same. I think gay <laughs> equaled lame. Like if it was just lame, we're like, that's exactly. gay. Exactly. <laughs> 
That's, I don't think you know what that's a great definition. Yeah, I don't think I I'm stopped saying that. that till the early 2000s, maybe when people were like, "Well, actually, gay means a homosexual person." It's like, oh, okay, it's no longer means lame. All right. No, it's not. Lame. Yeah, but lame's such a lame word. Yeah, it really <laughs> is. <laughs> gay is great. I don't know. It's like that's just gay. Gay people. So a lot of times I'll say gay people call that gay. So just to clarify that I'm not offending anyone. <laughs> yeah, I'm not using it in an offensive manner. I'm just using it to describe everything. Yes. Uh, speaking of gay, right. was was Al an open bisexual? Al Goldstein. Oh God! I read that he was. Yes. Or later in life. Okay. I think what happened later in life, Al just, you know, lost his, uh, well, he lost all his money and he lost all his luster. Yeah. <laughs> what luster he had. And I think he just, Al was a trisexual. He'd just try it with anyone, you know. I think he was just happy to get it wherever he could get it later it in life. Shaka. He was an opportunist shaka. when it came to, to yes, fucking. Yes, exactly. Obviously. All right. Which goes so, without saying. So let's get into a little history about Screw Magazine, which, so it, Screw was, wasn't actually a magazine. It was a weekly tabloid newspaper that started in like November 1968. So it's interesting because I can't really think of another porn newspaper. Right. Like, you know, off the top of my head. And uh, I read on the, the first episode had the, or the first episode, the first uh, edition had the tagline, Jerk Off Entertainment for Men. Brilliant. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> Very catchy. Now it's jerk off entertainment for the whole family. <laughs> oh, that's even better. You've won up to. <laughs> so Al Goldstein, the the larger in life uh, publisher here of Screw, said he his goal was to be the consumer reports of sex, which is kind of amazing. Really? I mean, that's that's kind of what Screw became, sort of. Yeah, I, I mean, well, Al had a, he had like a, a fetish for uh, electronic devices. So he had like room, he was a, he was um, the thing my wife, ex-wife is uh, a hoarder. So he used to like get all this free shit and, you know, like VCRs and TVs and stuff. So that, I think that was his way of just getting free shit was, <laughs> you know, oh yeah, we do, we do reviews of stuff. <laughs> I'm going to keep this in mind. I have something of hoarding tendencies as well. He was the first, uh, the the first publisher to ever do uh, blue movie reviews, as they called porn back then. I, mean, I don't think anyone was doing blue movie reviews, and not. To, and he also had new no. photos and a guide to all the dirty bookstores of New York City. And then uh, I read mm-hmm. in the first edition, he had a field test where uh, Al tried out an artificial vag. He was into gadgets, right? Which is a big deal at the time. That was some high tech shit. <laughs> But he he wasn't the only publisher. He originally published it with a guy named Jim Buckley in 1968. They both invested $175. That was it. But at the time, you that's know, it. Yeah, at the time though, yeah. that had to have been like a couple grand probably, like in our money. Yeah, but but just think about that though. Even with a couple grand in our money, if you and I decided to start a magazine, how hard that would be. Oh, it's impossible yeah. nowadays, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. nowadays, I, I could imagine. And plus, the the thing is, though, I mean, Hefner, I guess Playboy started probably, what, late 50s, but it wasn't doing what Screw was doing. You know, oh, no. Playboy no. had this, like, romanticized notion of sex and sexuality, you know, whereas Screw was like, no, we're dirty. Sex is dirty. Yeah, we're fisting and fucking. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, I read that uh, Goldstein claimed that... Um, 
if it had not been for his rave review of Deep Throat, and in quotes, this is how he described it. He said, I've never been so moved by any theatrical performance since stuttering through my own bar mitzvah. <laughs> but he said if it never, if he never reviewed Deep Throat in uh, Screw, then it probably wouldn't have become a big hit at New York's World Theater, wouldn't have been targeted by the Vice Squad, wouldn't have been, you know, a big First Amendment you know, uh, issue and probably might not even, uh, started the, uh, the, the, you know, the, uh, commercial porn industry. So do you Absolutely. think that's Isn't that crazy? Do you think that's Al's ego speaking or do you think that that's true? That was the case. I think, well, no, it's definitely Al's ego speaking, but it's also, I mean, there's a lot of truth to that too. You know, at the time, 1971, when uh, deep throat came out, I mean, he was, the screw was already being targeted by the FBI yeah. and the vice squad and everything. So anything, anything that screw touched at the time was targeted by the FBI and the vice squad. So it, it would only make sense. I mean, you know, um, yeah, it would only make sense that, you know, they would target anything like that, but oh God, sorry, I lost my train of thought there. <laughs> to your point though, any publicity is good publicity. So imagine anything Al touched, would blow up because everyone's going to start talking about it. It's going to be investigated. So I imagine, you know, it probably propelled Deep Throat into the national consciousness because all of a sudden everyone's like, what is this? Yeah. You know, and, and yeah, I mean, there were lines around the block to go see that movie. Right. And uh, who was it? Roger Ebert wrote a yeah. review of Deep Throat. And suddenly, like, porn was becoming mainstream. Like, in fact, Deep Throat was showing in, like, first-run theaters after hours. <laughs> so crazy. And a lot of porn <laughs> at the time were showing, like, the theaters would close at midnight and then open for porn. So there was a big deal at that time. That's one of my favorite scenes in Taxi Driver is when uh, De Niro goes <laughs> yeah, on a date with Sybil Shepard and brings her to a, a theater show in a porn. I, I don't think it was Deep Throat, but he goes to go see a porn and she's like, what? But that was a thing then. That's what you did. Right. You know, I, I mean, that's Sybil's what you did. You're tight in Taxi Driver. Yeah. <laughs> but Al Goldstein, if you think about this guy, he was the living definition of brass balls, this dude. True porn pioneer. I mean, he was one of the, the he predated Larry Flint, and he was a champion of, uh, you know, free speech. You know, many people saw him that way. Other people saw him as a fat, narcissistic blowhard. But to you, Phil, how did you become he was friends? all of the above. Yeah. How did you become <laughs> friends with uh, Al? Like, how did you become an associate? <clears throat> Well, uh, you know, uh, I first met Al when I was like 10 years old. My my dad used to do business down in that uh, West 42nd Street area at the time. And uh, I recall I, my, my earliest memory of Al was meeting him at like some seedy bookstore that my dad brought me to. I was maybe 10 years old. And my dad would take me, I, we, I, I grew up in Schenectady and my, we would go down to New York on these like business uh, ventures that my dad had to do. And he'd tell my mom, we're going to the Yankee game. And she'd be like, it's fucking January. And he'd say, oh, it's a spring training or something. <laughs> it's a special you know. game. <laughs> so we, we'd always end up West 42nd street, you know, and he brought me into like a shady bookstore and he's like, Hey, sit, sit there in the office while I go talk to this guy over here. So I was sitting in the office next to this big fat guy eating a pastrami sandwich. And that was Al Goldstein. And I, I remember like, he's like, Oh, you're Phil's kid. Cause my dad's name's Phil too. And I was like, yeah, he's like, how old are you? I'm like, 10. He's like, you got a girlfriend? I'm like, no, he's like, yeah. I'm like, yeah. And he's like, 
eat her pussy. And I'm like, I'm fucking 10, you know? <laughs> and, and I remember my dad coming out yelling at him, like, don't fucking talk to my kid like that. And then they argued. And so years later, I was uh, walking around Manhattan looking for a job or something. And it's in the early 90s. And I ran into Al Goldstein at like Second Street Deli or something. And we got talking. He's like, hey, he remembered me. And he was like, oh, he my. asked me if I ate a pussy yet. <laughs> and it was like 20 years later. <laughs> and uh, so then fast forward another 10 years, about two, uh, I don't know, 98, maybe 99, approaching Y2K. I was uh, publishing, I published a magazine down in Florida. It's not porn related. And uh, he was uh, in Pompano living in Pompano at the house with the big middle finger. With the middle finger, yeah. And he picked up a copy of our magazine and he saw the name in it and he just assumed it was my dad. So he he called the our magazine office looking for me, thinking he was calling my dad and we kind of hooked up at that point. But coincidentally, the guy who was printing our magazine in Florida was printing it a certain way. And Al noticed the cover of the magazine, and that's why he called. And he was like, is, you know, is Joe Furpo printing your magazine? And I'm like, yeah, how do you know? He's like, I can tell by the cover. And the cover of our magazine is called Beachcomber in Florida. is like an exact copy of the cover of Screw Magazine. But, hmm. with you know, sans the dirty shit. And, um, yeah, so it was, was kind of weird. So we ended up hooking up, and we were going to start printing Screw again because he was, he was um, filing for bankruptcy and everything. And that on it all fell to shit in 2003. He filed and uh, we, didn't, we never ended up printing it again. But yeah, we, be, we became friends, uh, like friend friends in the late 90s, early 2000s. When, you know, he was already broke. Uh, he lived in my garage for a while. And uh, whenever he used to fight with his old lady, he'd come stay with us. And my ex-wife fucking hated him. <laughs> Oh, I bet. I bet. Was she cool with Al being around your kids? <laughs> was he asking your kids if they'd eaten pussy yet when they're like five? No, he was not allowed to speak to my kids. <laughs> no, he was actually, actually, he was really cool to my kids. So yeah. I can't say anything bad about Al. I would, I would you have know, loved to uh, hang out with him. And you're fortunate to get that chance. Um, you know, I was reading Linda Lovelace. You know, she described Al as being crude, rude, infantile, obnoxious, and dirty, <laughs> which is hilarious. And he probably took that as a compliment, I'm sure. That's all of us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. Yeah, who isn't, is what I say. Right. Um, so Goldstein, as I mentioned before, he didn't invent you know, the dirty magazine, but he was the first that presented like a first commercial hardcore magazine. I mean, he had pictures and screw of people fucking, you know, I mean, people weren't doing that. And at the time, I mean, the legal system was still trying to decide constitutionally what's obscene. And this is way before Larry Flint, but Al never got the recognition of Larry Flint. I mean, at at its peak, what screw was around, what, 140,000 issues a week? Yeah, something, something like, like that. that. Well, there was a, yeah, regularly it was 144. There was one issue in 70, what, 73 or 74 that did close to a million. That was the Jackie Kennedy issue, which, you right. know, he never got the recognition for that as well. You know, um, Al bought, there was a Italian guy. Actually, it was 
turns out it was a friend of Aristotle Onassis who took pictures of Jackie O on the beach nude. I've seen those. And because she was Jackie Kennedy at the time, he was pissed off at her. So he, he wanted to teach her a lesson. So he had these nude photos taken of her and then they were going to sell them. They were trying to sell them stateside to someone. The first, the only person they could find to buy them was Al Goldstein. So he bought them for 5,000 and printed them in uh, uh, screw. And then a few years later, he called up uh, Larry Flint di- disguising his voice and sold them to Larry Flint for like, Twenty thousand, <laughs> 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 and Larry published them. But and Hustler got all the credit for publishing the first photos of the of a first lady nude. But it was actually screwed two years before. Yeah, that, I mean that's the thing. Al Al was the pioneer. Al was groundbreaking here. Um, but you know, I mean, with his contemporaries, you know, he didn't get a lot of the respect that like Hefner got, or even. Uh, the publicity that Larry Flint got, like Hugh Hefner thought he was a scumbag, you know, but Larry oh, was right. friends with them though. Right. They were, oh, they were the best of friends, right. Yeah. You know, he, Larry had nothing but good, good things to say about him right up to the end. And Al never had anything bad to say about Larry. I mean, they were, they were buddies. Well, Al used to joke that, you know, Larry, Larry's got two bullets in him and I got a pound of pastrami in me. <laughs> <laughs> it, but, uh, you know, it's a funny thing that, you know, you could even say that uh, Larry got shot because of something to do with screw. Um, how so? Do you remember, I don't know, we, we talked before about how Hustler and screw, like Hustler used to take a lot of things from screw at the time. Well, I would say Screw was the prototype for Hustler. Right. And one of the things that Hustler took was a cartoon of, uh, I believe it was like Nixon, Kissinger, and uh, who was his, uh, Gerald Ford, raping the Statue of Liberty. It was like a political cartoon. And, you know, you can run that in New York City in Screw Magazine and get away with it. But Larry took that same cartoon and ran it in Hustler, which, you know, that goes all out to conservative America, yeah. too. And that's what got him in trouble and got him arrested in Cincinnati. And that's what wound him up at court that day in Atlanta or wherever the uh, fuck it was where he got shot. shot. It was all over that stupid cartoon he stole from Screw. Oh, wow. I never I never knew that. I mean, yeah, he, I never knew technically, that he stole, or you could say borrowed a lot from uh, from Screw. But you were saying that Al helped him launch uh, Hustler. Correct. Yeah. Uh, back in the day. Um, uh, sorry. I, I, I'm trying to light a cigarette at the same time. Uh, back in the day, you know, uh, Larry was running his strip joints and he also had a side business where he um, sold dildos in, out of magazines and stuff. It was called Doc Colombo Dildos. And it was just uh, knockoffs of, <clears throat> excuse me, Doc Johnson dildos, which is based oh, yeah. in Cleveland. So he would run ads for his dildos with his uh, with his strippers in the ads in Screw. It was the only place he could really advertise at that time. Even Playboy wouldn't take those kind of ads. And uh, if I remember correctly, Penthouse wasn't around yet. It didn't come until 1969. Yeah, Penthouse was like late 60s, I think, 68, 69. But they weren't as yeah. hardcore as Screw was. And initially, yeah, no, and they they had actually started in England, yeah. And then they an uh, he he came here like a year or two later. So 
Larry was running his ads in screw. He was making a mint off, you know, selling dildos out of screw. So ultimately he got together with uh, Al and said, Hey, I want to create like my own little magazine or newsletter here in Cincinnati, kind of like you have there in New York, because at that time screw was pretty much regional. And Al went out there and they got together and he helped them lay it out and set it up. And, you know, at that time you couldn't find a printer to print. It was difficult to find a printer to print anything, you know, that showed flesh. So, you know, Al helped him set up a printing operation and everything to, to get his newsletter going. And from that newsletter, it grew into hustler magazine, but he did, he borrowed a lot from uh, screw for hustler. Like, uh, Screw's shit list became Hustler's um, asshole of the month, and Screw's uh, smut from the past became porn from the past in Hustler, and so on. So yeah, there's a lot of there's a, there's a lot of uh, similarity between the two. The difference being that Screw remained regional, but, but Hustler, you know, took off and became a national magazine and a billion dollar enterprise. I think that was part of it, Larry Flint. You know. Al kind of was a huckster. Al definitely had that P.T. Barnum quality about him. But Larry Flint was a good businessman. Like that guy knew how to oh, absolutely. You know, distribute it. He magazine. was ruthless. You know, yeah. Al was more of a self-centered kind of businessman. He just wanted to make money for himself. And, you know, where I think uh, Larry really wanted to grow something. Larry wanted to build an empire. I, exactly. Al just wanted to get laid. <laughs> and smoke cigar. He just wanted to be able to eat, afford a good dinner and cigars and get laid. And get laid. Yeah, I think that's the thing with Al. He had that like insatiable hunger for publicity. You know, he also you know was a capitalist, but then he also had that devotion to free speech. Whereas I think Larry was pure businessman, but also a champion of free speech. You know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, both of them. Um, and yeah. I- Al, you know, Al is often, um, uh, where were we going with this? I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, we're just talking, comparing. Uh, what, <laughs> I think we're just going to say, why did Al achieve the success of his contemporaries? Like, uh, you know, Hefner and Larry Flint, who had millions and millions of dollars. Al did well for himself, but he never achieved that type of success. No, and I think Al saw notoriety and fame as a way of getting pussy, kind of <laughs> like a rock star does, yeah. you know, where Larry Flint and Hugh Hefner, those are business people. Those are CNBC people, not MTV people. Exactly. And yeah. Al was more of an MTV guy. He was the rock star. Just I'm just doing this because I want to get laid to make you know lots of money. You know? <laughs> I think it was the classic, you know, Al Goldstein when he was younger was kind of a fat, Jewish like kid that stuttered, you know, it's like, and the only way to get laid is to make yourself into something big, you know, make yourself into something right. controversial. And, uh, and that's what and I think did. we all do that. Oh yeah. We all some, do that in our own way. You know, I do that all star, the time. Some start a podcast, you know, you gotta do what you gotta do when you're, when you're a goofy looking <laughs> Jewish kid. <laughs> I mean, why do you think I do what I do? I get laid a lot. Hey, I like it. I don't, I don't make any money doing this. I oh, Believe me. I feel you on that. Um, one of the things I loved about Goldstein, though, is this guy had some crazy publicity stunts. Crazy. I read that, that uh, Goldstein and Ron Jeremy, who were best friends, were, uh, got their dick sucked through a hole of a bagel on a Malibu beach. 
Did that Ooh, actually happen? I, mean, I haven't even heard this was, one. Whoa. Yeah, there's a video of it. What type of bagel, though? Because that's Yeah, was it an everything bagel? No. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine those dudes were down for everything. But, you know, I don't know. This video. If you, if you, D, 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 D. If you had to get your dick sucked through any kind of bagel, what kind of bagel would it be? God, I think I would probably go for I'm going to say seed. onion. <laughs> I'm going oh, poppy, poppy seed. Onion, though, would be good for poppy? the girl because it'd be tasty. Oh, I got. I'd have to go with everything. <laughs> what would everything, you prefer, you Kate? Have to be fancy, and you can get the rainbow bagels, which would be just delightful. Ooh, that sounds gay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's totally gay. Yeah, I mean, like, oh my god, you, everything you, bagel. If you wanted gay. to please the ladies, I would say cinnamon and raisin, because like, what chick doesn't like sweet things? Yeah, I guess it probably. Yeah, well, yeah. Ultimately, the bagel has to be something she's gonna like, or he, depending on who's sucking your dick. Yeah. He, if but, it's a yeah, you want for the boys, cinnamon and raisin for the raisin for the girls. Cinnamon. Oh <laughs> my god. This down. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm writing this down right. <laughs> Pumpkin spice bagel. <laughs> yeah, during fall, <laughs> and then she can have. A if it's a white girl, it's a pumpkin spice bagel. <laughs> I'm gonna have to look for the video and find out what kind of bagel they used, and if the girl ate it afterwards. I bet you Ron Jeremy probably ate it afterwards. Oh come on, you've got to eat the bagel afterwards. You'd be like, I both want you to come on the bagel, and then I'm gonna eat it. That's exactly how. It I don't know. Been. That'd be. Yeah, natural Was there locks cheese. on it too? <laughs> locks Hopefully. and capers. <laughs> yeah, you want the works. It'd be like the the cherry on top of the locks bagel. It's not salty That's enough. That's fucking insane. Weren't you saying that uh, at one point Al was living Upper West Side next door to Bill Cosby, and he was hanging out with Ron Jeremy around the same time? Yeah. Oh, they 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 all shared a communal space together. Uh, <laughs> Bill Cosby's house is on the right-hand side, and uh, Alice is on the left of a townhouse on in the, uh, how was it? It was like the wow. East 50s or something on the Upper West Side, or West 50s on the Upper West Side, or whatever. Could you imagine? I can smell the chlamydia from the house, <laughs> just from here. It's still there. Yeah. <laughs> the shenanigans. It's like an old diner, that, that greasy grime on the walls. I imagine that's still there. If a woman sat down on the couch, instantly pregnant, I'd be, I'd be. <laughs> so uh, I bet you didn't know you. I, I bet you didn't know this about Ron Jeremy. He could auto fillate. Yeah. Oh, oh I, I, really? I've could seen he? That Nobody in, knows that about Ron. Yeah, I've seen that in, uh, in film. <laughs> I don't know if he still can. He doesn't need to. He's in prison. Uh, I, I wonder if he ever did it with a bagel, though. <laughs> That's where I was going with that. I didn't ever put a bagel on it. Well, this is something they can do to him in prison. He can buy a bagel through the commissary, and he can ask one of the other inmates to give it a go. Right? I'll tell you what. If I ever had to go to prison, I wish I could autoflate. <laughs> make things a lot easier. That was. That would make 50 years go by fast. <laughs> <laughs> so did you ever go to uh, Al's Pompano Beach Mansion in Florida? Yes. Oh, my God. One time I went there, they called me up at like three o'clock in the morning because he was holding his wife hostage at gunpoint. <laughs> yeah, he oh, was crazy cute. with his ex-wife. Yeah, You're they fine. got in a fight. I had to go and get him. They're like, come and get your boy. <laughs> I like how they don't call you the cops. They call you. I was living in Boca at the time. I picked him up and I drove him, I drove him to my house and they stayed in my garage for like the next six weeks. Oh, man. You have to tell us about the middle finger statue. Yeah. What was the deal with that? Oh, like. Okay, so years ago, uh, you remember that TV show, uh, fuck, 
the, uh, the, the Parkinson, um, um, Michael oh, J. Fox our, TV show. What was that show? Where Family the, Ties. No, not that one. The other oh. one where he was like the assistant to the mayor. Oh, oh um, shit. Michael J. Fox, I forget. Another one you're talking about. This is after Family Ties. It had, that, it had that one guy who talks funny. He, he, he plays one of the friends on uh, uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. He, yeah, I used to watch this show. Fuck, what was the show? Spin City. Spin City. Spin City. Spin, yeah, yes. Spin City. Yeah, That's so... The middle finger was a prop on Spin City. It was a gift to the mayor from the city, and they unveiled it and they bleeped it out. But obviously, it's a middle finger, and uh, it ended up in a like a fucking warehouse or something. And it ended up whoever owned the warehouse didn't pay for it, and somebody else ended up getting it. And somehow Al ended up buying it. He used to like buy stupid shit like that. And I remember I had a convertible at the time. He called me up. He's like, "Hey, you want to?" help me take something down the floor. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, sure. So I drove from, I was in Albany. I drove down to New York. We put this fucking big ass middle finger in the back seat of the convertible. It's amazing. And we drove from New York all the way to Pompano beach. Cause it, it's a big middle finger, but it's not heavy because it's just foam, you know, like that foam shit yeah. they used oh, to make signs. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't that heavy. It's but here's huge. the two of, you know, these two fucking idiots walking down some street in Manhattan, putting a big middle finger in the back end of a convertible and then <laughs> driving. I'm surprised we didn't even get pulled over. We drove all the way top down, all the way to Pompano, and they put it in his backyard. It's oh, amazing. What's happened to the middle finger? Do you know? Uh, one of the hurricanes came along and blew it away and no, no one has seen it since. So it's, it's in I the met, wind. I meant just oh, floating in the ocean somewhere. somewhere. Up there. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like this big cement thing, but it's actually just foam. Yeah, I was I was reading that he had this thing in his lawn, and all these yachts would go by because you know it's Florida, you know it's an affluent area, and he would moon the passing boats. Yep, and they'd moon them back. (laughs) We'd we'd be sitting out. uh, We we uh, he liked Cohibas, so I'd come over with Cohibas. We'd sit out back, and we as the boats would go. I think uh, what's that golfer? Greg Norman. Lived yeah. like a few houses down and had this huge boat. And he was the one that was always complaining about the middle finger. It was an eyesore. And the, the city and everybody, they were trying. You know, Al was always having to fight for something. So having a middle finger in his backyard just gave him a reason to fight, fight for free speech again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's my backyard. It's my middle finger. And, you know... So the city tried to get him to take it down, but he never took it down. He wouldn't budge on that, and he never did. Good. And they ended up, I think they sold the house with the finger, but then the hurricane hit and took the finger with it. (laughs) I mean, if you think he spent a good portion of his life fighting for things and spending a lot of money on uh, lawyers. Right. He was arrested on obscenity charges 19 times. You know, through the years. And the first three years, they had a lot of legal issues when the magazine launched. Right, right from day one. Yeah. Right from day one. Uh, you know, by the eleventh issue, uh, that's that was the uh, J. Edgar Hoover issue, and that's the one that really caused all the uh, problems for him. Did we yeah. talk about that already? Yeah, yeah. You know, well, <laughs> yeah, we, we mentioned about gay Edgar Hoover. we mentioned it, but that was the thing. Like he published that headline: "Is J. Edgar Hoover a fag?" And that pissed Hoover off. I mean, it really did. And it kind of yeah. started to like a personal vendetta against Al, and they. You know, he took it, charged him with obscenity, and that 
later overturned, you know, a uh, a, a ruling yeah. that the Supreme Court actually overturned a major precedent in regards to obscenity. So, I mean, in your opinion, yeah, how did you know how did he affect free speech and the future of uh, like Al? pretty much paved the way for the adult entertainment industry. And oh, absolutely. And, and it wasn't just Al. I mean, as the lawyers involved, Harold Price Ferringer was, uh, I mean, a huge uh, a t- uh, free speech advocate and attorney, one of the biggest at the time. And you know, even Alan Dershowitz was one of uh, yeah. Al Goldstein's attorneys long before he was the uh, Trump attorney. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dershowitz. But, uh, <clears throat> Al Goldstein made attorneys famous. <laughs> yeah, Ferringer, that was a famous attorney. What about uh what's that guy's name? Uh uh Charles Destefano, right? That was one of his lawyers. Yep, yeah. Well he was later. He was later. Charles was the more recent attorney for some crazy shit Al did in the uh later in life. Yeah. But uh <clears throat> going back to uh J. Edgar Hoover, what happened was um they the the legend is his dying words were get Goldstein and he had dispatched like this memorandum to like all the FBI offices in the United States. Like, you know, get this motherfucker. And n- nobody really knew why or cared, but, um, in 19, right after he died. Okay. So here's the cool thing. May 2nd, 1969 screw publishes is J Edgar Hoover, a fag that pisses J Edgar Hoover off. And like opens up this whole door to this huge vendetta, which I'll get to in a second. Three years later, May 2nd, 1972, same day, J. Edgar Hoover dies. Ooh, wow. And the anniversary yeah. of the yeah, issue. third anniversary of his, him being called out, he died. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's more than a coincidence if you think about it. <laughs> right? You know? I think Clinton's had something to do with that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what, what ended up happening is um, after he died, right after he died, the um, Nixon administration dispatched 12 uh, postal inspectors to the most conservative place in America they could find, Wichita, Kansas. Yeah. And these 12 postal inspectors using fake names and fake addresses ordered subscriptions to screw now, unbeknownst to Alan Jim in New York, who they don't handle the subscriptions. That's all done through this mobbed up distribution thing that they got going on. And these subscriptions are sent to Wichita, Kansas. Now, yeah. Screw doesn't have any subscriptions outside of New York, really. I mean, there's a few in Detroit. There's, you know, in different places. But Wichita, Kansas, come on. The Bible Belt. So, yeah. yeah, as soon as these magazines arrive... Warrants are issued for Goldstein and Buckley in New York, and their houses are raided, they're arrested, they're put on planes, and they're shipped over to Wichita, Kansas to stand trial for 12 counts of uh, distributing um, obscenity, obscene material across state lines, which was that was a federal offense at the time. Because at that time, we didn't have any kind of blanket law in regards to obscenity. So, you know, New York's really cool. We can, we can have statues of naked people and we, you know, we're tolerant to all of this stuff where, you know, a magazine in New York is obscene in Kansas and, you know, something obscene in Kansas could be obscene in New York at that time. Not that anything from Kansas would be obscene in New York, but you, you see what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Um, there, so you were breaking federal law by transmitting something, transmitting or uh, distributing something from one state to another that was obscene. 
if they if it were obscene in the state receiving it. So they were arrested for that. But ultimately, that led to a Supreme Court ruling that we needed a blanket law on obscenity in America. And uh, so that that's how that opened the floodgates for porn, essentially, because now porn could be distributed across state lines. Now porn can be transmitted across state lines over the Internet because of this precedent. Yeah. Where we now, have, you know, this blanket precedent that we now have. And uh, so, yeah, all of that kind of goes. It's funny how all of this kind of goes back to screw like that. Um, Not to mention, it also allowed books like, but you know, like Henry Miller's books, and uh, you know, William Burroughs, and uh, what Lawrence's uh, Lady Shadowley's Lover. Like they allowed those books not to be hidden anymore. Like you could actually sell them in public because of uh, this right. precedent. You know, he changed uh, he changed obscenity laws. Correct. So. And then a few years later, he changed the parody law. Oh, because uh, yeah, in 1977, Screw was running these cool cartoons of the Pillsbury Doughboy and the Pillsbury yep. Doughgirl, like the Pillsbury Doughboy raping the Pillsbury Doughgirl or Pillsbury Doughgirl blowing the Pillsbury Doughboy and all this shit. And, you know, they were just fake ads, kind of like, you know, Hustler's Campari ads that he got in trouble for which the Campari ads came from Screw as well, by the way. <laughs> uh, Pillsbury sued Screw for using their trademark in these cartoons and sued them for trademark dilution, saying that, you know, they were um, infringing on their trademark by creating these parody cartoons of the Pillsbury Doughboy, giving the Pillsbury Doughgirl a yeast infection and all this shit. <laughs> and it, it ended up, in again, in Supreme Court. And... Yeah, another another precedent was set saying that if you can parody. use uh, registered trademarks in regular parodies, you should be allowed to use them in explicit parody as well. And once again, that opens the floodgates for, you know, all kinds of parody shit and parody porn. In fact, uh, Axel Braun, who does the, the popular yeah, the parody Star porns Wars for Wicked, those, yeah. I mean, he, he'll, he'll be the first to tell you that I'll open the door to that. Well, I mean, I'm I'm sure that uh, helped uh, Larry Flint get out of more than one lawsuit because now you know it's like he took that from Screw too with all his uh, you know the political cartoons and things like that. I even read in '77, uh, racist Alabama Governor George Wallace sued Screw for five million because uh, uh, Al published a claim that. Wallace learned to perform sexual <laughs> acts from reading the magazine, and they ended up having to settle for know, like twelve was, grand. That- I know, right? Because it was probably true, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, Larry Flint just took a page from Al's book and did the same thing, you know, to uh, wind up politicians. But it's amazing what, if you think about it, what Al Goldstein did, he doesn't get the recognition that he deserves, you know, for what he did. Oh, for no. Overturning obscenity laws but, and know, setting legal precedent. He, he, was, he, he never made himself that likable either, <laughs> you know. I think he liked the fact that people disliked him. That's true. You know, he, he didn't, he had, he had his own kind of charisma, but he didn't have that likable kind of charisma that, you know, other people had. And, <laughs> I'm just assuming. I don't know. But he was gritty, you know. I think he scared people more than he, you know, than anything. And I, I think people were sometimes afraid to be his friend because they're like, "Well, I, hey, I'd like to be his friend, but I don't want to piss him off either." <laughs> you know. He made me nervous lots of times. I. <laughs> 
And so anyway, like by the 70s when like Hustler launched and Penthouse was there, you know, Screw wasn't as novel anymore because now there were like these official magazines, not like newspaper, you know, that was uh, printing porn. So then Al kind of like shifted gears and started that cable porn show, which I love, Midnight Blue. Um, right. Actually, I, ju- I just which got this at on one DVD. Point was the lo- longest running cable television show on cable TV. Yeah, 25 years that lasted. And he had porn stars. Yeah. He had, uh, you know, different celebrities. Musicians. He had freaks. Debbie Harry. He had Debbie Harry on. Uh, he had um, R. Crumb. Uh, who else? He had yep. Gilbert, Gilbert Gottfried. Gilbert been, Gottfried. That yep. episode's the they were best. Good <laughs> it was amazing. I can see that. Gilbert Gottfried did a eulogy at Al's uh, uh, remembrance. Oh, wow, that's, that's great. Did you go to uh, his funeral when he died? No, I was in the hospital at the time myself. Oh man, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. that's a bummer. It's a tough one. No, I I, I, I was I was to go to the uh, to to the they uh, they did like a remembrance thing. Uh, Pendulette was there. A lot of people were there. Harold Price Ferringer was there in a wheelchair. All these people showed up. I didn't get to go. I was I was I had a heart attack. <laughs> oh, Not man. because Al died, but because <laughs> I was fat. Oh, God, well, I think Al can empathize with that. Um, you know one of the things I I still kick myself to this day do you remember on Midnight Blue Al would hawk that sex tape with Chuck Berry the Chuck Berry sex tape when he was pissing on the prostitute holy shit yeah and he's farting yeah and he farted in the prostitute's face and he also had the uh, the Rob Lowe sex tape yep Yeah, it's, and, it's, it's hard funny to find. story about Chuck Berry though. You know, he he got he didn't he go to jail for like uh, hiding cameras in his restaurant. <laughs> yeah, and, like, where girls were videotaping <laughs> people, girls pissing and stuff. Yeah, he was taking covert videos. He was a freak, Chuck Berry. Fuck yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> but Midnight Blue was uh, you know another groundbreaking show, and I don't think he made any money off of it. And he had, you know, Al spun off, like, well, he had all those other magazines, like Bitch and Smut and Death, which is one that I've been trying to track down for years. Yeah, I don't, I don't think Jim you can Buckley find Jim Buckley spun off. Uh, in, Jim Buckley moved out to San Francisco, I think, right after Al bought him out by 72 or something. I don't know what it was. I think he started a magazine called Gay in San Francisco, but I don't think it took off. I think they only did like a week's worth of issues or something, or a month's worth of issues or something. Um, but that was like the first gay magazine too. Yeah. Dude, there's so many progressive. firsts related it's, to Screw. I mean, it was, a, it was the first magazine to show uh, like actual homosexual sex. It was the first magazine to show interracial sex. It was the first magazine to show a cum, sh- a cum shot. You know, there was yeah. so many first related to screw the history is just so rich yeah very progressive and it's you know i think it's kind of lesser known than uh, you know than obviously like playboy and penthouse and all that so what happened to screw why did why did goldstein uh you know close the doors in 2003 like was it the internet you know with the through the 80s uh he kind of shifted gears away from the dirty 70s stuff and started he started bringing up, well, his term, and I hate to use it, but his term was he'd bring in a lot of the washed up cartoonists <laughs> because, yes. you know, underground comics and things weren't as big through the 80s as they were through the 60s and 70s. And a lot of these comics were now aging and didn't have gigs. So he'd get people like Spain Rodriguez or R. Crumb to do covers. And yep. it, um, so that the from the late 70s, 
through the eighties, the covers for screw magazine were just incredible. Um, Renee Moncada cover. Uh, I think he even got Andy Warhol to do a cover and Keith yeah. Haring did a cover. Yep. And um, of Bobby course, our crumb, Spain yep. Rodriguez, uh, Yosarian was a comic underground yep. comic from the New York city scene years ago. Um, Vaughn Baudet who did like Lord of the Rings. Oh yeah. Yeah. And he got all these different people to do these great covers and stuff just to kind of attract people to the magazine. And, um, but it kind of had to shift focus, but the funny thing about screw and the secret to screw right up until 2003, when he printed the last issue was 99% of the porn that you saw in screw was just regurgitated photos over and over again. Back in like 1972, Al bought Hmm. like a collection of 10,000 photos off some photographer and just use those photos. Just he never used pretty- anything else. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. He just used the same fucking photos for 2,000 issues of a magazine. <laughs> wow, now that's practicality it, right there. You know, repurpose yeah, it, the oh, photos. Well, you know, okay, well... That's so yeah. Jewish. Like, I bought these photos. I'm going to use them. I'm not buying any well more photos. Me. This is it. Might as well get your worth That's out it. of them. Yeah. Yeah, he got his money's worth. And they're like, oh, we already used that one. Okay, well, fucking flip it. You know, mirror image. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the final issue of Screw only sold about 600 copies. And at that point... You know, Gold, sounds about right. Yeah, Goldstein kind of went from uh, living in a mansion to kind of living in a homeless shelter and crashing in friends' garages. And then I believe Penn Gillette put him up in a, in a, a studio apartment, right? Who? Penn Gillette Who? from uh, you know, The Magician. Yeah, yeah, right up until he died. That's so yeah, cool. Penn had a nice uh, place in Manhattan. So that was pretty I mean, that's a cool friend. So, I mean, I would have put him up, but... You know, I got I, my kids are like freaking six and eight at the time. Yeah, I, I had my hands full as a single dad at that point. What, what happened? <laughs> I, didn't like, need, I didn't need a seventy-year-old kid too. How do you think Al ended up like this? Though? I mean, the guy was worth millions at one point. Owned a mansion, and now he he's just, like, you know, he just, you know, I and I can relate to it because you know when the money starts pouring in and you got all this money, you think it's going to last forever. Oh, yeah. So you just spend it and you you just keep spending it thinking it's going to keep coming in. And then one day you realize that, oh, shit, yeah, it's not coming in anymore. You know, I mean, Al was good at what he did, but he 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 wasn't good at keeping up with the time. Like, you know, we were constantly after him to we've got to do something with the Web. You know, let's get this yeah. up on the Web. And, you know, Larry was the same way as like, you know. They, they didn't like the internet. The internet was ruining everything. But, you know, just because something's coming along and ruining everything doesn't mean you need to avoid it. You need you to kind of innovate, you know, you know, yeah, you got to innovate and, and use it. Yeah. And I think I think that's where that that was the nail in the coffin. It was definitely the internet. Yeah. For Al and not listening to people like me who were like, hey, we're making money doing our shit on the Web. You need to be doing your stuff there, too. I mean, the internet definitely changed the face of the porn industry, much like Al did back in like you know late '60s. The internet did the same thing. People had to like pivot, you know, and innovate, and now right, you know, find new ways to capitalize off of it. Um, that, you know, not necessarily a bad thing. I think uh, you know, back in you remember back in like the '80s and '90s, there were like what like ten major porn companies, and you had to buy all their videos. Now it's like you just go on Pornhub, you get anything you want. 
It's a click of a button. Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Only fans. There, it's, yeah, there's I not know. a keyword you can think of. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What is that? What do they call that? Rule 34? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when I was a kid, I think I had a swank and a hustler, and I probably jerked off to every page, you know, every you know um, model in that book for years. You know, it's now oh, you don't yeah. even need that. You know, it's, 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 it's amazing, but it, it did definitely, you know, transform the industry, but Al, you know, even after like, you know, right, right during the bankruptcy and after, I mean, he was doing some crazy shit. Like I, I heard he went to spend 60 days in jail for harassing a former secretary. With yep. That. yep. That, that, and that, I think that's where Charlie uh, DiStefano came into play. Not only that, he, he harassed the secretary but then when he went to court, he was harassing the judge and uh, <laughs> and the prosecutor running pictures of, you know, little mock-ups and screw of the prosecutor blowing the judge. Uh, and the judge was Asian. He was making fun of him and, you know, just all kinds of shit. You know, when you when you got on Al's bad side, watch out. He didn't care if he was going to go to jail or get arrested or I mean, the guy had sat in prison. He he'd sat in Rikers Island so many times at that point. Yeah. He wasn't he wasn't afraid of any of that. And he always knew that money would get him out of it. Yeah, because, yeah. you know, we're not looking at violent crimes here. We're <laughs> looking at, oh, I called you, you know, this or I called you that. You know, nobody nobody really goes to prison for life for saying the wrong thing. Yeah, I mean, I read so that he, uh, he he published this uh, secretary's phone number and was encouraging people to call her up and call her a cunt. <laughs> you know, and so she said it was obscenity. It was mm. later overturned. I mean, that was fine. Even though he showed up at the courthouse dressing like an orange, like, prison jumpsuit with a ball and chain attached yep. to his leg. I mean, the guy. With, with, Brilliant. With his big fucking, uh, he had those big fucking uh, werewolf uh, <laughs> slippers. Werewolf feet slippers that he walked around in. Brilliant. <laughs> that wasn't the first time he published somebody's number yeah. in in Screw. Uh, back in the seventies, he published Gloria Steinem's number in Screw. Oh yeah. And uh, when Gloria Steinem first launched, uh, what was her magazine? Ms. or Ellie or what? What was her magazine? Ms. 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 And uh, yeah. yeah, that makes more sense. Uh, when she first published her magazine, she said something nasty about Al. So he published her phone number and screw and was like for a free blowjob call Gloria. And here's the number. And her, the phones at fricking Ms. Magazine were ringing off the hook and all these people were calling looking for Gloria and their free blowjob. And then she freaked out and sent him a like cease and desist. So he pulled the ad, but then like a week later he ran a full, a full page uh, or a full centerfold uh, pin the cock on the feminist game. Oh and it was God. like a caricature of uh, Gloria Steinem with all these little dicks you cut out and you could play pin the cock on the feminist. <laughs> I, I know he, he also uh, used to fuck with Andrea Dorkin too, the other femi- oh, major well, feminist. Oh, well, if anyone deserves He was just a shameless her. troll. That's what I loved about Al Goldstein. Yeah, I do. I love this energy. You know? He, he, nothing was sacred with Al, no. which was, <laughs> it, was the best part. And that's what Screw was all about, you know? Yeah. Which is, which is brilliant. So, um, so Phil, I read, you know, I was thrilled when, uh, you know, Kate, Kate was mentioning that, uh, you're, you started up the magazine again. Well, first of all, a Roku subscription, screw TV, and then, uh, you're launching, uh, the magazine in digital only format. So tell me about that. What, so right now, is there a screw channel that you could, you can go ch- subscribe to? Uh, well, there was, uh, Right before Al died, uh, now my background, uh, let's back up for a second. My background is in developing applications for Roku. 
Mm. So I, uh, I developed and produced TV channels for people like Paula Dean and Oscar De La Hoya oh. and uh, launched them on the Roku platform. And at that time, you know, I, Al was obviously my friend and we were kind of in business together. And uh, I decided, let's, you know, let's, let's turn screw since you're not printing, let's turn it into a, a TV channel. Like, you know, cause Al's all about, he was all about TV. Yeah, like Midnight you Blue. Know, and the, the whole idea behind screw TV on Roku was going to be like a rebirth of Midnight Blue. And awesome. uh, then he died right. and we had, all, I had already built the channel. So we started licensing porn content and did an adult channel on Roku. And it became one of the largest channels on Roku. We had over a million subscribers, which is more than screw more subscribers than screw ever saw. And then about a year ago, Roku decided that uh, they wanted to ban all the porn from their platform. So we went it's from like a million totally. subscribers to jack shit overnight. And yeah, so that kind of left me with, all right, what are we going to do now? We can go back into print. We can create something digital, which, you know, it's part of my background. So we decided to uh, kind of create a digital version of Screw for people to enjoy. Uh, we're still able to distribute all of the video content through Screw Video, ScrewVideo.com, uh, shameless plug. And um, so we're, we're able to do that, but I, I, I really want to get back into the print. I think print is going to, I think we're going to see a resurgence in print in the years to come because there's just so much shit on the web right now. And there's just so much, so many things going on. And even me, it's like, sometimes I just want to hold a book in my hand. Some, sometimes I just want to hold a magazine in my hand. Yeah. It's happening. And, it's and, definitely and, happening. And, yeah. yeah. You know, it's getting to the point where you, I don't know. It's just, I, we need to move away from digital at some point and like kind of in find other things to enjoy. I, and, I totally uh, agree I with you. I find myself reading books now more than I ever read books before, like actual physical books. And, and so I'm like, maybe now's a good time to start getting into print. I think, you know, print has a longevity to it. It's, it's something that you can keep and cherish and hold on to whether it's porn or not, you can hold on to it for years. You can give it away. You can pass it around. You don't have to rely upon an internet connection or something to, to share it. You and can it's, enjoy so it's it much, To me, it's much more intimate than something I would find on the web. I mean, I love jerking off to shit on the web, but there's nothing like holding that magazine in your hand. Yeah. And, and, and once again, and, you can do you it know. anywhere. It's, it's very versatile. But you know what, though? If you think about it, I've, I've often said this, too. I think print will make a comeback, much like... You know, vinyl. Vinyl never really left, like vinyl records. But vinyl's huge now. Right. Outsells digital, outsells sure. uh, MP3s. And people can get an MP3. It's convenient. It's easy. doesn't sound as good as vinyl. You know, it doesn't look as good no. as, as vinyl. It's not as tactile. Whereas I think the same thing with, uh, with print. Like, you can read an online magazine, but it's not the same. You know? Right. So I can you know see, what I love about I vinyl? see that happening. I love that when I put one of my records on, I know every crackle and pop yeah. Yeah. on that record. And yep. if you were to take that record away and give me a, and replace it with a different record, I would fucking know. <laughs> you could totally I would tell. Know. That's not my, that's not my rush record. That's yeah. somebody else's. Mine has a crack or a pop or, you know, and it, it, it's like your records were your own. You know, you knew every scratch on your record and books are the same way. You know, every bend in the page, you know, you know, the smell of your book, 
you know, I, I you think know the there's smell that, of your porn mag. <laughs> exactly. I think there's that nostalgia factor with it. I mean, I think we've gotten into this like ease of accessibility era, you know, where we can just have everything we want on a hard drive. But I think there's that that nostalgia factor of print and definitely of like vinyl uh, will make a comeback. So when you restore Screw to its uh, former print glory, are you going to bring back the, uh, the the tradition of the comic? You know, underground comic covers and all that? Yes. Yeah, we're That'd not going to do like AI generated covers and shit like that or anything. But but yeah, we I want to bring back like the uh, hand drawn kind of cover too. Uh, I mean, I, 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 yeah. of course, we have to digitize everything now in order to print it. But I, I like the idea of going back to that three color or two color spot color type stuff that was done in the 70s. I think. I don't know. I just think it would stand out, especially, you know, too. the only place where we're going to be able to sell screw is online and in an uh, adult stores. So you walk through an adult store, everything's a fancy, glossy looking magazine. We want to kind of stand out with something colorful and comic, like, you know, more like a national lampoons of porn than, you know, I don't know if you've seen porn magazines lately, but they all look the same. Yeah, yeah. Just we're not going to do newsprint though. <laughs> yeah, Good. I, I think I was, that was my yeah. second question. Just steer clear of the newsprint. No one wants to jerk off to that. Yeah, uh, but you know what oh, I God. do. You get all that ink all over your balls. <laughs> you know what I do hope you bring back though. Are you going to sell the merch, the T-shirts, the Screw logo T-shirts? Because I love yeah. that. Yeah, we, we we do that now. We have oh. those on the website uh, Screw WTF. That's the short version of the website for people who can't spell magazine. Um, yeah, we sell shirts. We sell a lot of shirts. I think we sell more shirts than anything else. We sell screw shirts and uh, hats and all that shit. Yeah, people, I'm going to recommend everybody learn a little bit more about screw. So it's screw.wtf. Um, you can go check out screw. Yeah, or screw magazine dot XYZ, but nobody remembers that. So screw.wtf is easy. That's easy to We write that on bathroom stalls all over the place, too, like for a good time. Screw.wtf. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's great. Yeah, I'm going to go there by one of the... I, I used to have... which Kate's actually wearing it right now, but I had this old retro red screw magazine shirt from the, like, probably 80s when I got it. Yeah, this is the Vanessa Del Rio uh, version of screw. Cause yeah. She, she wears the same. It's the old that's school. Yeah, yeah, there's, the old uh, school there's a, Andy Warhol did a, uh, a, a famous, like, portrait of Vanessa Del Rio with curlers in her hair wearing a screw shirt, too. Yeah, ah, the, there's awesome. two of them, isn't there? Because then there's the. Do you have the one that says "for the fun of it"? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, screw for the fun of oh, it. Oh, that's the best one. I like that one. That's the one I want to. That's the one we're going to bring back in June. Oh, that's I great. I like that one. Are you going to make it in black yeah. or still red? I, 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 well, I have the black for myself, but I mean, we sell. You know, I like the black one with the white screw. That's a. Uh, we have those on the website. Definitely have to check that uh, out. People... I got a shit ton of them. Uh, that's the only oh. way we make money. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Right now, screw screw online is free to read. Pay only if you jerk off. So the way it works <laughs> is you go you 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 go to screw. You read all our stupid articles, and there's lots of things that you can click on if you want to watch porn films. We have all the classics. We have we have over three hundred and fifty thousand uh, porn films in our library. And you can uh, click on like a video store. You can buy them. You can rent them. You can download them. You can stream them. Or you can sign up for Screw Premium. It's only $29.95, $29.99 a month. And uh, you can stream it all unlimited. 
Wow. But that that's what Screw used to be on Roku. Now it's just web-based. So. Well, that's great. Well, people can but, go yeah, check it out. Have... Screw.wtf. Well, Phil, thanks for chatting with us, man. And best of luck All with right. Screw well, Magazine. I hope you got something in there that you guys can use. Oh, for sure. I mean, we salute you for carrying on Al's legacy. Yeah, we you know? thank you for keeping I mean, after all, it was Al rolling. who paved the way for shows like ours to even exist. You know, so right. Well, you, I, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say that, but I think you guys are doing a great job. Ah. All right. Um, well, thank, thanks, I sound like Donald Trump. You guys are doing a very, very <laughs> good job. You're, very you're doing such a great job, job on your show. I've only listened to one episode. <laughs> <laughs> I've never listened to it at all, but you're doing a great job on your show. <laughs> it's such a great show. When you do that, when you say that thing, you say. <laughs> anyway, guys, it's been a pleasure. One of the things I didn't even bring up, and I totally forgot, was that Penn Jillette, who supported Al at the end and like put Al up in a in an apartment that he had in New York, he recalled that Goldstein ran an ad in Screw, offering a million dollar reward to anyone who could kill the Ayatollah of Iran. <laughs> like, who does that? Like, what a troll! Hello. I know. I love Al Goldstein. It's amazing. <laughs> Me and Al would have just gotten on. I love what a dickhead he is. I think it's hilarious. And the the fact that Phil, you know, his father was friends with him and he grew up knowing that guy is uh, quite, it's quite an honor. It's amazing. Anyway, Legend. people go check out Screw Magazine and, uh, you know, go check out screw.wtf. And uh, if you can find... Midnight Blue on YouTube. Um, it's totally worth it to go check out some of the, the interviews that Al did back in the day. Um, people, this episode 894 here, sticking on. Got a couple of phone calls coming up next. 323-522-4032 is that number. But first, here's a quick uh, message from Adam and Eve. Hey, guys. It's me, Stephen. I'm a huge fan of your show. Thanks to your awesome coupon code, Diddle, I can buy myself loads of good sex toys. Since both of my wives died, and my look Eric's disease got pretty bad, let's just say things in the bedroom got pretty boring. But thanks to adamandeve.com and coupon code, Diddle. I am now a new man. Thanks. You're charging power victory. And now we'll keep on energy. It's okay, Rambo. We got a, a couple phone calls here to get to. So do you remember, I think this was a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. Black Dahlia from the patron called in yes. about her demon boyfriend, Ian. Do you remember yeah, this? This is, this is a sexy call. I remember that. Well, yeah, she was practically having She was a fucking preteen. With... I don't think she was having sex with this ghost. She, I think she said she was nearly having sex with the ghost, didn't she? You're a nonce. But I think she was young. <laughs> I do think she it's was young. nonce. Not nuns, it's nonce. You're a nonce. Say it properly. You're a nonce. That's what I'm going to say. 
Um, anyway, I don't think she had sex with him. I think she was a child, but maybe. Maybe. I Who thought knows? she said she was super attracted to him and they, they had like a thing. I thought that was the deal of it all. Well, we asked a bunch of questions, so she called back to answer our questions. Well, I'm sure that was one of mine. Thank you. Hello. This is the person with the um, the demon ex-boyfriend named Ian. Ian. Uh, my name is definitely not Elizabeth Schwartz, mm-hmm. and I know my username is Black Dahlia. I'm not really sure what you guys want to call me, but please don't call me Elizabeth Schwartz because I'm not that ugly. I'd call her BD. <laughs> oh, my God. That, right, right. She said something that's really funny because – People, I always say that Elizabeth Short was fucking ugly. And everyone goes, you can't say that. She was a murder victim. It's like, no, no, she was fucking ugly. And she had also really bad teeth. So (laughs) She kind of reminds me of Helena Bonham Carter. No, Helena Bonham Carter is a bit hotter. She's got a very symmetrical face. I do see what you're saying. But Elizabeth Short is, like, not attractive. I'm looking her up, but I always thought... I guess, yeah, I guess I can, I can kind see of see what you're saying. saying. Yeah, she doesn't really look the... that much like her. So, all right, we're not going to we're not going to name the black dahlia yet. Well, I was going to call her. I want to call a ghost fucker. I was going to call her BD, but that sounds like big dick, and that just sounds <laughs> weird. So, I'm just going to call her Black Dahlia for now. Now, now, um, until anyway. So, I just wanted to give you guys an update. Um, you guys had had some curiosity as regarding whether there was some sexy times with Ian. A lot of curiosity. I think it was me asking. I was 13, so no. 13, so no, Um, you nonce. Probably should have been. I don't know. There was some sexy times with with some ghosts later on in my life, uh, with some ghosts in my house from the time that Ian was around. But yeah, no. How many ghosts have you been giving handjobs to? Like, she's just that getting just, around with the ghosts. That's a great fall song, by the way. There's a ghost in my house. Which that, is is a good, that is a good uh All my uh, favorite fall, fall song. songs are covers. Who who I did guess. that one originally? I can't remember, but it is a cover. Oh, I didn't know that. But she gets around with these ghosts. She's got, like, ten ghosts in her house, and she's, like, she, flirting with them. She has the connections. You know, I grew up in a really old house. My house was, like, 300 over 300 years old and never once did a ghost come and want to be my boyfriend. You never so gave a ghost a handjob the entire time. No, I, the, like, see, I none of my family loved me. None of the ghosts in the house loved me. What about that one time <laughs> drunk dad was wearing that sheet and he walks in, <laughs> no pants on? No. <laughs> <laughs> you liar. <laughs> never saw Ian again. Um... I thought about Ian at one point, probably right before I divorced my ex-husband. Um, That's weird. And as far as the mess thing, no. That had nothing to do with Ian because I was 13, 12 or 13 when Ian happened. And when the mess thing happened, I was like 22. When the what? Okay. The messing? Meth. Oh, the meth. Okay. So she wasn't having like a meth delusion because she was young. You know what's funny, though, is we were talking about this at the start of the show. Girls are so different to boys. I'd be interested to know more about, like, the girls' stories about how they first, like, fucking started wanking and started getting into sex and stuff. 
Because I was never really interested in boys. I was still playing with Barbies when I was 15. And then I saw a boy one day. And I was just like, yeah, I'll have sex with him. And it was from, it was literally within a week. I remember I was still playing with Barbies on a weekend. And then a week later, I was getting shagged. But when you were playing with the Barbies, is Barbie getting like stupped by Ken? Oh, yeah, but I did that when I was a kid. I did that when I'd be like, because my... I had two brothers. So the two brothers had a, like G.I. Joe's and we had snake eyes and they would have sexy parties together. But it never Wait, became... you'd play with both your brothers and your and your Barbies? <laughs> That's, yeah. This is getting weird. No, like the Barbie, they would all live in like the same... I had a whole like Barbie set of like floor system where they all lived in like one apartment. Hmm. And so they'd all kind of come in and hang out and fuck each other? No, they wouldn't necessarily fuck each other. They just hung out and we all played Barbie and like not G.I. Joe's. What were they called over here? They weren't called G.I. Joe's. I can't remember. But Snake Eyes was there. I remember Snake Eyes. It's, that is interesting though. How uh, when uh, when girls discovered masturbation, usually it always involves like the, the bathroom faucet like in the bathtub. Well, actually that was later for me. And that was the shower head. And that was thanks to Six Feet Under. Because in six oh, feet, yeah, under, she I remember wants... that scene. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I saw that, and I was like, "But I was fifteen at that point, so I, I had already started wanking." But I wonder how many girls have like a demon boyfriend, though. Uh, none of us. And uh, maybe we should call this demon you. girl. <laughs> so there was that. Um, I haven't done meth since that point in my life. Um, probably right. since I was twenty-three. And I am 33. So thank you for saying that I sound really young. You uh, do sound I mean, young. Um, I mean, I'm pretty young. I feel young. So 33 is young. 33 is Yay. young. Yeah, 33 is a lot younger than me. I can say that for sure. But you do. It's she does sound young. Me, you are, 33 is young. You're like early 30s is young. Early 40s is young. And she stopped doing meth at a time where it's not going to have like permanent effects. I mean, I was doing... Well, you think that, do you? Come on. Yeah, but I'm thinking I was probably still in my early 30s when I was doing it. It's just not a drug over here. Like, I don't know anyone who's done meth. It's probably a good thing. You can get a lot done on meth, though. Um, but yeah, uh, I haven't done meth in a long time. I know better. I still have ADHD really bad. Um, I haven't been on my meds probably in about a month, maybe more. Because of the medication shortage for ADHD people, yay! Oh. Uh, no, not yay. It actually really fucking sucks, and I'm really hoping I don't lose my job. I'm an attorney, so yay! Uh, really, wow. really, really hoping that I keep my job this time. I haven't lost a job since I was in my early 20s, but you know, there's the first time for everything since there's been a medication shortage. You know, I've known several she's attorneys a, that do a lot of drugs. She's an attorney, so she's put it to to go and pass the bar and do fucking law school and do all of that. That the, fucking hell, pat yourself on the back. I don't think you should be stressed about losing a job. You should be well, applauding yourself for it's a stressful doing career. It's a stressful yeah, that's career, amazing. that's for sure. But I've known so a lot of boring attorneys to be a lawyer as well. I've known several attorneys that uh, that have done a lot of drugs at that, you know, they just tend to party, like dentists. 
you know, so I'm not doctors surprised. Too. Every doctor I've ever known has been a pie, yeah. Well, they can has give themselves prescriptions. But, I mean, that's a, that's amazing. Like, I wouldn't even worry about it. So, yeah, if you guys want to hear about the um, sexy times that I've had with ghosts, please let me know. Yeah, we um, do. As far as with the tampon thing and the mess thing, um, it's not really related other than the fact that, like, that's what I thought was going on. And then when I came to slash woke up slash, I don't know, like, the next thing that happened because I was still awake the whole time, like, that was the next thing that happened. Yes, I did go to the hospital. Um, I had a very small piece of some sort of Wait, so it gets cut off, but she does call in part two. I don't recall the tampon thing. What was the tampon thing? Yeah, it wasn't the tampon because I told the story about I had I thought I had a tampon stuck in me, but it turns out I didn't. Which, funnily enough, is in my is in my medical records, which I have to present to the embassy. (laughs) 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 I have to present to the embassy, and I think we were talking about that. What was stuck in you again? Like a was it a knickknack? Something, right? Yes, it was a knick. No, no. <laughs> I thought I'd gotten. I had it. I was on my period and I had a tampon stuck in me and I ended up shagging a guy. But I thought I hadn't taken the tampon out because I was really drunk. But I had taken the tampon. Oh, out. Oh, you did take could, it out. All right. Yeah, but I couldn't find it in the morning. But I also couldn't remember taking it out, so I thought he'd fucked it into me, even though I've never, I've never shagged a man who could like fuck a tampon into me because it doesn't happen. Yeah, I mean, wouldn't you? I feel, was young. You'd feel it. Yeah, you'd feel it for sure. No, once it once it goes into like the fucking uteristy, it's like a, it's like going into like the, the black hole. It is. You can't feel anything when it goes inside your uterus. So I thought that's what's happened. So I went obviously to the hospital and they looked inside my uterus and they couldn't hmm. see it. So I had taken it out. I was just super drunk. I don't recall but if that, that's what happened here to, to Black Dahlia. but We were she, talking about it and that's why she went. Yeah, maybe she explains it here. But we do want to hear about sexy times with ghosts. Definitely. Even Always. if you're on meth, we want to hear about the meth <laughs> sexy times too. Okay, so this is part two, again, with the Ian ex-boyfriend of a demon. I'm not really sure. Um, If you guys could give me a name, that'd be great, so I could quit calling in with references from the last call I made. Um, Anyways, so, um, like I said, there is no tie-in with the SWAT team slash the tampon thing. I honestly don't remember talking about the tampon thing. It was, like, actually really super embarrassing. But um, as far as Kate said, yes, I did go to hospital. Um, there was a tiny piece of cotton there. And um, ever since then, I have not been able to wear a tampon. So there's that. Wait, were you able to wear a tampon after that whole incident? Oh, yeah, I still wear a tampon. Yeah, you didn't have an issue with it. Well, it sounds like she definitely had a... Um... Yeah, but I've like never a... won a tampon when I've been high off meth and the police are fucking coming for me. Yeah, I could see that being very dramatic. That could be a life-changing experience. <laughs> a life-changing tampon um, experience. I'm only ever allowed to wear pads, and that's been a thing for the past decade. 
So. So wait, does Ian prefer pads or tampons? I'm gonna come out here as well and say that this is very like hippy dippy of me, but I like I'm not a big fan of tampons either. I think our body is producing a waste. Our body, my female body, is producing a waste product. It wants it out of me. So you shouldn't feel like modern society is all about not wearing pads. Like, Get a diva okay. cup. I've always been pro diva cups. No, 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 not a diva cup either. Because your body is producing a waste product. Like it, your uterus is literally like squishing something out of you. That's where the pain comes. So from. what are you supposed to do Once with it? To get out. Yeah, you should just like wear a fucking pad. And nowadays, there's period pants, which are the most amazing invention ever. It's what I use. They're so good. You free bleed. You just like fucking bleed into your pants. It's amazing. It's so. Yeah, but you walking around in like a you know like a pool of blood. No, no, no! It just like instantly soaks it It up. You don't even know you're wearing anything. They just they're so good. Period pants are like the way of the future. They're like economic as well because you just like rewash them over and over. If those are at the bottom of the laundry bin, those must smell bad. Like some no, you just three week old sardines. What are you? Like, no, not I'm a just saying. Boy. A lot of women don't wash their clothes regularly, and you know you Which actually women? get your period. There's a lot of women's. I met a lot of women don't you know don't have a the luxury of a washer dryer in their unit, so it's like they gotta wait till oh, they gotta go to the laundromat. So meanwhile, the period pants are festering at the bottom of the bin. Well, the whole apartment smells like a cannery. <laughs> Let me tell you about period pants, do you? You wash them in cold water, so you can just wash them in your sink. You don't even need a washer and a dryer for them. What about all the, you know, the the period pieces? Do they go into your drain? Yeah, they just, where do you think they go anyways? I don't know, in your dish, your washing machine. Is that where you think the period pieces go in the in the dish? Dishwasher. Dish no, I'm talking about the washer. You put in the washer, the period pieces all go in where you know where the lint and everything else goes. Period pieces. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about the uh, yeah. the the mis- the malformed fetuses. <laughs> We're both learning things today. <laughs> Can I borrow your period pants one of these days? I'll let you wear them. They're very comfortable. They're super comfortable. I just think they'd be very useful after I go to Taco Bell. <laughs> yeah. Uh, don't do meth, kids, is my response to that. Love you guys. Love the podcast. And I'm so excited uh, that you guys finally played my song. Or not my song. <laughs> you guys finally played my uh cool so yeah hopefully we're to see you guys at the rainbow i am local oh shit so, yeah give me a call if you guys want to hang out hopefully kate gets to come live here soon bye oh yeah we love going to the rainbow like one of these days we should uh meet up there get some shots we have some to, jaegers uh, name demon fucker now yeah, we'll have to come up with a with a with a good name for her. I don't want to call her period pants because she doesn't wear them. No, she doesn't. I wear period pants, but we also <laughs> we can't call her Elizabeth Shaw. You stop laughing at period pants. What do That's period pants look what like? Yeah, but what do they, they look, look like? like? Are they, they like look leggings? Like normal underwear. Yeah, they look like you would never know a difference. They feel like bikinis. Oh wait, so they're period underwear, not pants. 
they're called period pants. If you type in period okay. pants, then you're, millions of websites will come. You're out. shattering my my illusion here. I thought you're wearing like <laughs> have you ever seen a fisherman wearing waders when they go into yeah. the uh, when they go in there fishing for trout? They're wearing those waders. I was picturing something similar to waders. Remember when we had this whole discussion when you were drunk and I was trying to explain to you that like a period lasts 30 days and you got very upset about this. And you I don't just remember didn't that. Understand. Were you wearing period yeah. pants at the time? No, I wasn't because period pants are a new discovery to me. Mm. And now they're the best thing ever. <laughs> Stop laughing about no, it. I like, I want to borrow them. They're just like bikini underwear, basically, in a way. I guess if I wear them, they're going to be called D-Pants. <laughs> but this is 2023 and you're only just discovering period underwear. <laughs> People, you can call the sick on hotline 323-522-4032. Uh, big ups to all the listeners who support us on Patreon. I know we talk about it every week, but it does help keep this show going. It keeps us doing Including- it every week, so... Including demon fucker, not black Dahlia, Elizabeth Shaw. <laughs> DF. She's got like five names now. Yeah. We'll find a good no, she's, one. She's a patron. She's an active participant on the patron. You know, the more uh, money you give us on Patreon, the more period pants I can buy. So I do appreciate that. <laughs> Patreon.com slash sick and wrong. Also, go to the Tee Public store if you haven't bought some merch. We do have a lot of sick and wrong merch out there. I put up some new designs. The pervert shirt. I did the Eat Ass Pray Love shirt, which hasn't but, sold at all. But that's a brilliant that's a brilliant Dee, shirt. Why don't we make some sick and wrong period buttons? That's a good idea. I like the cut of your right? jib, Kate Rambo. I think I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna write that down. Let me write that down right now. Anyway, Stop go to the T Public store. <laughs> I'm writing on my invisible pad. And not I can tell it's pad. invisible. Not I'm not talking about like that kind of pad. I'm talking about like notepad. Sickerongpodcast.com <laughs> um, slash shop. Click on the picture of the Pope. Uh, finally here, Sickerong Song of the Week. I'm going to dedicate this one to Al Goldstein. May he rest in power. Um, I've been like on this crazy Rick James kick. I, I, I know you have. Yeah, it's like disturbing. the past. I don't know. You know, I had like a greatest hits record and I think I had his, uh, the album that has Mary Jane on it. Um, I forget the name of it right now. The first, the first That's record. That's the real famous album, yeah. Yeah, the first record. But I didn't really have any of his other ones. So I recently picked up um, Cold-Blooded. You know the song, Cold-Blooded? Yeah. Well, he's, I mean, Rick James was before, you know, predated Prince. He definitely, like, I think, Well, there's that whole thing about Rick says that Prince stole his shtick. But it's like, no, Prince. Prince is definitely Prince, and Prince is also fucking way more talented than you, Ray. Oh, for sure. I definitely definitely think so. But the first album, Come Get It, that record's great, and that has Mary Jane on it, and it's it's an amazing record. Yeah, that's But Cold-Blooded has quite a few good hits. And one song in particular I listened to like three times because it's hilarious. It's called Pimp the Simp. And uh, it's off of um, Cold-Blooded, and it features Grandmaster Flash. So he does right. a lot of songs that okay. are duets. So Grandmaster Flash is supporting him on this song. It's on the album Cold Blooded. came out in 1983. Pimp the Simp, dedicating this one to uh, Al Goldstein. Thank you, Phil Italiano, for yeah. chatting with us and being on the show. And people go check out screw.wtf uh, 
and uh, learn more about Screw Magazine. We'll be back next week with episode 895. Till then, take it sleazy.
you've done some solid things. You were the first guy to what's called show pink, which is to show the vulva and all its ugliness. Um, you, 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 you really let it hang open. Now, now you say ugliness. So because I, to I, me, to me, the uh, the female uh, sexual organs are the most beautiful part of a woman. Their sexual organs are, but their pussies aren't. <laughs> <laughs> No, most men find pussies ugly. Most women find pussies ugly. I mean, uh, I think this is one area where, where, where women's live. Do you find them ugly? Yeah, that's why I eat pussies. So I get so close, I can't see it. I only see the top, because, you know, you can't see it. Have a nice night. And fuck you, Sybil Shepherd.